The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. Before we get started, I want to give you a reminder that my book is coming out the week of November 4th. This book will help you to overcome the fear and anxiety that comes with difficult conversations. It will also provide you with a simple, practical framework that you can use to approach every single difficult conversation, whether it's in the boardroom or the dining room table. The title of the book is like no other negotiation book because the book is like no other negotiation book. Do you want to know what the title is? I am still not going to tell you the name of this book. <laughs> you have to wait until November 4th. It will retail at $19.95, but for that week, the first week it's on sale, for you listeners, the ebook version will be at a special Negotiate Anything discount of $0.99. Cents. So make sure you get it that week. It will be available on Amazon.com. We are partnering with the United Way, and 100% of the sales of the book for the first week are going to go to the United Way's efforts to fight poverty. So it's very exciting and it would be great to get the support of the persuasive people in the audience, um, not only for the purpose of buying the book and bettering your life and your professional career, but also to better the lives of others through um, showing your support for the United Way with the, the donation. So thank you and let's get to it. Our guest today is Mark Davis. Mark is the founder and director of MDUK, which is a negotiation consulting firm that focuses on mindset training and making sure that you have the proper mindset to put you in the best position possible to get the most out of your negotiations. He is a fellow attorney or lawyer, I guess barrister, <laughs> because he's in the UK. Our conversation is really cool because he focuses it on three stories and pulls out the gems that we can take from it and utilize in our own negotiations. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Kwame, it's my pleasure, mate. Good to talk with you. Likewise. So how about you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure, no problem. I um, started out as a lawyer. That's how I trained many moons ago and quickly found that, I suppose, unbeknownst to me at that time, you know, a lot of the negotiation skills I was honing and learning, but the application of sort of legal practice itself, it just didn't enthuse me as much as it had. So I then moved into real estate, as you call it over there, estate agency, as we call it here in the UK. And that was my first exposure to negotiation on a daily basis. I realized very quickly how much I didn't know about negotiation, how much I was sort of winging it. And that was uh, good for me for a good few years. I went into some more entrepreneurial ventures, spent some time in Germany, lived there for a couple of years. And what I'm doing now is as a result of my last job, which was uniquely involved in negotiation consultancy, that very niche area, which I didn't even know it existed and got introduced to it through a friend. And for the last, gosh, 
nine months now I've set up on my own. And specifically, I think I class myself as a negotiation mindset, consultant, coach, advisor for want of a mix of words. I think it's something that uh, to me was really the crux of what I've been doing for the previous five years. And I, I wanted to chase that and hone that and, and really become the best at that. Nice. And so what made you want to focus exclusively on the negotiation side? I realized that it was what really lit a fire under me was this idea of empowering clients to achieve greater mastery of negotiation skills. But actually, it was more to do with giving people confidence as well. And it went to the core of people's identity. And I was initially doing it and still am, I have to say, I do it commercially, you know, for commercial clients, but also personally and coach people. But I found that it was something that would traverse the personal and professional. I wanted to get into it an awful lot more. I found that there was often clients who I would work with and I'd be giving them the tools, but they still weren't finding success or fulfillment from going back out and trying to become better negotiators. And that's when I realized it was very much about the mindset shift and that paradigm shift in confidence. That's what I was really trying to teach, trying to advise people on. Fantastic. This is great. You're a man after my own heart, as you know, because that's exactly what I do here. And you love it for the same reasons that <laughs> that I do. It's so cool. And you're a, a lawyer, too. So we're twins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Pretty> much. <laughs> that's really cool. And what's really interesting is you recognize the same thing I did, too, is that the people, you might have the tools, they might know exactly what to do cognitively, it makes sense to them. But when it comes to execution, there's still a barrier. And it's something psychological, it's something emotional within them. And I think the terminology you use is perfect. It's a mindset issue. And it's a confidence issue. And sometimes it takes a special kind of coach like you to help them overcome that so they can actually utilize the tools effectively. Yeah, I think so. I would agree. I think you're being entrusted with that. So as a coach, you know, particularly an advisor, that comes later and that's much more personal. But I think particularly with the workshops that I deliver more as a consultant, you're being entrusted to expose people to perhaps some of their, as you say, their worst fears or their feelings. And you're trying to take them through a process to empower them to be less scared of that or to realize, you know what, that the person on the other side of the table they have those similar doubts, similar fears. And by realizing that it's more of a level playing field, from there, we can start to really grow people's confidence. And I've seen you know, great results from people who've walked in really doubting, in fact, whether they want to stay in that line of work to coming out the end of it sometimes a year later. And it's helped them get promotion. It's helped them realize the niche they want to carve up for their careers. So I take a lot of pride in that, but I hugely respect that. I think for you, if I may speak for you for a moment, and for me, we're being entrusted with a big responsibility. Absolutely. This is great. Awesome. Well, I am looking forward to getting into this because the goal of this episode is to kind of uncover some of the secrets to developing a strong mindset and what kind of mindset would be effective in a negotiation. And the fun part about this episode is that it's going to be based on stories. So we have three stories, or we could say, since we're in the business world, case studies um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, we're going to utilize to highlight some of the mindset points that you want to uh, teach the audience. So how about we just jump into story number one? Sure, let's do it. I think 
I'm going to begin with one which is more in the public domain, I think, because it's a very good example and illustrates how mindset is everything in a negotiation. The second one is more to do with sort of a deadlock and how effectively time can be wasted, huge amounts of time can be wasted if we haven't got the mindset correct. And and I want to look at advising your listeners on looking to shrink time effectively by being more conscious of that. And the third one is one that lasted over the course of a year as a negotiation, but ultimately was a huge win. And it was down to the strength of this particular client's mindset and the coaching that we gave him over the course of a year. Coming back to the first example, it was from 2014, a huge merger that was taking place in the advertising world. Omnicom, who are a US-based company, their CEO, a guy called John Wren, I think his name is, they had put a deal together, them and a company called Publicis, who are a French-based advertising agency, headed by a gentleman called Maurice Levy. And Kwame, this merger was worth 35 billion US dollars. It would have made the merging company, I'm not sure what name they went for, but it would have made them the largest. They would have overtaken WPP, Samart and Sorrell's WPP as the largest advertising agency in the world. I suppose where to begin, the thing that strikes me when we think about mindset is the danger with making too many assumptions can come about if you're not conscious of the direction you're trying to take the negotiation. And where this came to a head for publicists and for Omnicom was they'd done all the jurisprudence, they'd gone through all the checks and balances from a legal point of view, governments had to step in as well, you know, for the competition laws, all those sorts of things had to be done. You can imagine the swathes of lawyers in the rooms just hammering all this through. Once they got to the end, and they got to effectively what they felt was an agreement, a deal, it then became apparent that no one had consciously thought about who actually will be in charge. So effectively, what you had was two CEOs. And I suppose it might be fair to say that most CEOs of Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, their egos tend to be pretty big. I think I'm <laughs> sure you'd agree. So effectively, what happened here was it became a battle of the egos, a battle of wills, with one CEO suggesting to the other that their CFO should be the new merged company's chief financial officer, and the other suggesting, well, actually, no, you know, I'd like my guy to be a new money man. I think the one thing to stress as well when thinking about mindset related to this deal is it can also be very, very, very expensive not to do business and to have deals that don't work. In this particular case, Kwame, there were two aspects of that. The obvious one being the costs that were associated just with getting the merger to the point where it eventually failed was in the region of $100 million. So that on in and of itself, just in pure monetary terms, you know, is a lot of money for a deal not to happen. And secondly, the issue that was very clear to Sir Martin Sorrell was that he could take advantage of the fact that while these two companies were wasting money and time and focus on one trying to beat the other, he was picking up business left, right and center while all this was going on. A lot of their clients, customers of both these organizations started to lose confidence in them. And one example was the Vodafone global contract worth a billion dollars that moved to Sir Martin Sorrell's WPP as a result of the fact that, yeah, 
that was one example. I think GSK was another one. PepsiCo was another, I think, in Asia that moved to WPP. Similarly, because these two gentlemen, and I get it, it's part of being a CEO. You know, this ego is something that ultimately sometimes steers you to the top. But when it comes to negotiation, that mindset of it's my way or the highway, the ego, it got the better of the two of them. And they couldn't effectively get out of each other's way. They were so one-tracked on this. And the whole deal fell apart. And ultimately, the only person who won was the competitor, was Sir Martin Sorrell. Shareholders lost, employees lost, and it was embarrassing for both parties. So for me, that's a very public example. It's out there in the public domain back in 2014, where if you haven't got your mindset right and you allow your ego, your emotions to take hold, it becomes for you about winning the argument above all else. That can be a very expensive mistake. Makes a lot of sense. And I think, especially from our world as attorneys, we can see that attorneys very type A. We like to win and we see the world in an adversarial type of way. In the American legal system, especially, it's designed that way. And so we get obsessed with winning. And I think it can, this is a mindset that can leak into the everyday professional as well. We are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now, back to the show. Will AI improve our lives or exterminate the species? What would it take to abolish poverty? Are you eating enough fermented foods? These are some of the questions we've tackled recently on The Next Big Idea. I'm Rufus Griscom, and every week I sit down with the world's leading thinkers for in-depth conversations that will help you live, work, and play smarter. Follow The Next Big Idea wherever you get your podcasts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. Higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. And so in your opinion, what is something that people can do to make sure that ego doesn't get in the way of effective negotiation? To answer that, I would suggest a couple of things. The first thing is when you're reflecting on any interaction during the course of a negotiation and even at the end result of a negotiation, good, bad or ugly, ask yourself, am I focusing on trying to win or maximize value here? Because very often the answers to those two questions aren't going to be the same. If you think about the long-term sustainability of relationships and growing value and creating value, if it's always about you trying to win, the other party, it's very difficult for them not to recognize that if you're winning, what does that mean about what they're getting out of the deal? You know, are they also thinking they're, they're winning or, you know, it's very difficult to sustain relationships. So, Look, there is a time and a place that some would argue for focusing on winning. And if it's very short term and there's no repeat business and long term consequence. I mean, as a side note, I'd argue that there always is. But you might have some schools of thought that say that that's appropriate behavior. 
But I think the flip side is, am I focusing on trying to maximize value here? Or is it always about me trying to win? That would be the first thing. And I think the second thing is take the time to surround yourself with people that you respect and be humble enough to recognize that you're not omnipotent, you're not perfect, but bring that person in or that team in to sense check your decision making. It's very difficult to be right in the mix of a negotiation, be thinking about the moves, be proposing and counter-proposing and the ego sense checking am i letting the emotion get to me so bring trusted advisors in bring people in who are there to keep you on track and be humble enough to accept that advice when it comes your way i think that's brilliant because a lot of times even though we think we have a good grasp on things and we might think that we're seeing things objectively we're humans and we are naturally biased towards ourselves and so it's going to be important to surround yourself with people who can check you and people who will check you if you are behaving inappropriately or approaching the situation in an inappropriate way so especially if you're a leader a manager it doesn't make sense to surround yourself with the people who are always going to agree and stroke your ego that makes things worse so the people that you surround yourself with they actually need to have the confidence in themselves and have enough i would say respect for you but at the same time they're not afraid of you and they're going to be willing to say what needs to be said in order to get the deal done yeah i agree with that wholeheartedly i think any leader should recognize that the relationship you have with your advisors with your teams it's a duet and there's got to be mutuality between the two parties if it's going to work it's a very famous quote but you know richard branson made a point of and i'm going to completely kill the exact quote but it it was something along the lines of you know i know that i'm not the best at any one thing but i knew that i could trust and bring the right people in and surround myself with the right people and empower them to lift all of us up that's what you need to do i think in negotiation you're going in and having the weight of the world on your shoulders naturally human nature is when you're faced with a conflict situation is to become defensive and a negotiation is a conflict of sorts i think sharing that weight sharing that burden is the best way to maximize value in those deals in the long term yeah hey fun fact about uh richard branson did you know he is dyslexic you know i hadn't heard that i didn't know on the show shark tank I think it's usually five sharks. The majority, I think it's three out of the five, are dyslexic too. And um, what's really fascinating about that is that I was reading in the book, I think it was a book called Business Brilliance. Branson said that he doesn't think he would be as successful as he is now if he could easily read and understand like the financial spreadsheets that are coming in front of him. So that humility that he has that allows him to rely so heavily on people who are intelligent in certain realms was kind of thrust upon him in a certain way. And what was a liability, he turned into a strength because it forced him to rely on people who were smarter than him in those areas. And I think it's just a great example for us because if we can try and pretend almost that we have that type of barrier and it will force us to be a little bit more humble and say no it's not a situation where it would be good for me to consult an outsider it's a situation where i need to consult an outsider because i have this particular barrier and in this case when it comes to ego that barrier that we all face is that positivity bias that self-serving bias that makes us look at ourselves and everything about our positions in a positive light 
I couldn't agree more. It's essentially fighting your programming. The survival instincts kick in whenever you're in a conflict situation and it's very difficult, but you're trying to overcome that natural instinct. And the irony is that that's the most fruitful way of establishing successful partnerships and deals is focusing on the other, you know, is focusing on, and that includes people in your team. And I think Branson is a great example of that. It was never about him. It was recognizing the key to success was empowering others. Perfect. Okay, let's move on to the second case study. And I think this is one that you were actually involved in, right? Yeah, so this one was, gosh, I'm trying to think now, maybe four or five months in the making. And I should caveat it right at the beginning by saying I never got to see this to its conclusion. And I took a lesson from that in and of itself. But effectively, the top line summary for this deal was it was another merger. It was in the insurance business. I think the figure was around the billion pounds mark for this deal. And I'd been set to task with building strategy and developing some tactics, utilizing tools for the merger team. Now, the lesson I learned and one thing that I would advocate to anyone out there who's managing teams and looking to develop their skills, being involved at the coalface, if you like, with your team, little and often is something I would recommend simply because with the nature of the merger deal that I was putting together, my big mistake and something that I fed back to this CEO was, again, perhaps slightly down to his ego and his lofty position, his perception of how important his time was. He left the team and me to four or five months of preparation and planning of building up our portfolio of options. And we never had any direct interaction with the CEO until I happened to meet him at the entrance to the lift, the elevator, when we were going up for the final big meeting, the final deal to be closed, you know, signed and sealed. And he strolled in very confidently, acknowledged me, thanked me for the work I'd done. And I had assumed, because my negotiation mindset was one of, well, you know, he's the CEO, of course, he'll be read into this. I've made the assumption that his mind will be tuned in to all the detail and the direction of travel and to know exactly what he wanted from signing the deal. But it became very apparent as we were traveling up in the, the lifts. He said, well, look, I've done many of these things before, Mark. I know exactly what I'm doing. You know what? Just read me in now. Give me the uh, the top line. I'll go in there and don't worry about the rest of the team. I thank them for all their work. I'm going to go in there and just get this thing done. So the silence was palpable. Um, I say I take responsibility. That's my fault for allowing and assuming that he would be read into this and he would have prioritized it accordingly. But right there and then, from my experience, I knew that we were going to be coming at this on the back foot. Effectively, what we were going to go in and do was what we call, you know, winging it. We were just going to go in and the CEO was going to take over and he was going to, as he said, you know, I'll put this to bed. No problem. I've done this a million times before. So I had effectively 90 seconds to brief him on the moves that we were going to go through, what we were willing to give away, what we were willing to compromise on, and what was pretty much the red line as far as the value that we wanted to retain in the deal. And we went in there, and it was an absolute car crash. One of the main things that I realized at that point was, again, it's perhaps similar to the first example, but the reason I highlight this here is that that was more to do with the internal negotiation, the internal mindset of the organization, if you like. And perhaps this 
for me, can be linked to a company culture that can often permeate through an organization, you know, it does come from the top down. We allowed ourselves to be subject to the ego of one particular individual. And the irony was that, in fact, while he may have been very skilled at winging it, and of course had a lot of experience, we came into a meeting, into a negotiation, with no clear appreciation of his particular skill set and where his strengths and weaknesses lay. And therefore, we hadn't planned fully enough to be able to optimize the strengths of the CEO's skill set and, if you like, mitigate, minimize the weaknesses. So we were left you know, very exposed. And the moment he heard something that he didn't like, it was an issuing of an ultimatum. And it was backing the other party into a corner to say, we're the bigger party here. We have more power. Take it or leave it, yes or no. And of course, behavior very often can breed behavior in the other party. We've got defensive because we've heard something we didn't like. We've reacted. And they've also got defensive and allowed emotion to control their behavior. And conscious thought has gone out of the window. And I would summarize that deal and that particular scenario as it became a question of who is right versus what is right for the scenario with which we were faced. And we wasted effectively five months of time because we hadn't taken into account the internal negotiations that might need to take place and the aligning of mindsets internally within the team in order to be able to go ahead and really extract and maximize value out of the negotiation. As you know, and certainly I learned, time is probably one of the biggest factors that there is in negotiation. If you get your mindset wrong, you can waste an awful lot of time. And that's what we did in that particular scenario. Yeah, that's one of those scenarios where it kind of explains itself. There really doesn't even need to be more elaboration there because it's pretty clear what went wrong, where the mindset issue was. But again, I just kind of want to outline this for the audience. It's not just the mindset of the CEO that was an issue, but it was also the team preparation, like you mentioned before, and the assumption that he would have been better prepared for the negotiation. So the takeaways would be making sure that everybody is of one accord internally, preparing effectively and making sure all your ducks in a row to are in a row before these major meetings. Is there anything else I'm missing there? No, I don't think so. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely. Perfect. Okay. Let's get to story number three. All right. I love this story because it shows that very often you've got to recognize that the appropriate mindset in negotiation is to realize that it is not about winning and this comes from a particular client who was working in the retail sector, and he was a supplier to a very large international retail business. And he was dealing with some dynamics within that organization because it was a family-owned organization. And I think the main reason I love telling the story is the deal was a year in the making, but he recognized, as you say, that he was a type A and he took the time and allowed me and entrusted me to advise him over the course of a year to realize that if the chairman of this family-owned business was a type A, his son, who was the CEO, was a type A, and he was a type A, that trying to fight fire with fire was going to be very, very, at best, attritional 
at worst, most likely to lead to another deadlock or the deal going south. The lesson here that I wanted to highlight for your listeners was negotiation mindset. It's a conscious act. We have to consciously consider as part of our planning and preparation, the language we're going to use, the elements of NLP, I think for many, I don't know if we want to get into that necessarily now, but quite literally, he focused in detail on the minutiae of the language he was going to use with these two individuals, being very aware that the deal was worth, I want to bring it down here, it's around 30 million euros um, over the course of um, a couple of years, which to him was, you know, and to anyone would be a huge deal, but was a very large account for that organization. And I think the detail with which he approached this was something that I hadn't seen before. And he was willing to take the time necessary to become entitled to offer an opinion and to offer guidance to his customer. It would be very easy to have gone into that negotiation and tried to sell the fact that the numbers stack up, that we've done all the due diligence and that we should just go ahead, get the legals involved and get contracts signed. But I think he appreciated and spent a lot of time with his mindset focused on wanting to allow them to feel like they had won and to allow the other party to feel as though they are in charge. And I think that's one of the key skills that people often underestimate. And that doesn't mean that you subject yourself to being exploited. But what it recognizes is that the negotiation ultimately is two people, three people, four people in a room. And you've got to focus on those individuals specifically when you're thinking about the negotiation. Having a great strategy is one thing. Having all the tools is fabulous. But if you've got all the gear and no idea, you've got to recognize that perhaps the reason that some of your deals aren't coming to fruition is you haven't taken the time to consider the other party. And you've got to recognize that the negotiation is not something that is done to the other party, but that you're negotiating with them. And if you're going to negotiate with them, you've got to engender trust. How do you engender trust? By minimizing your self-orientation. And this is what this gentleman did over the course of a year. So I think there's a couple of things I wanted to highlight there. The first being sometimes you've got to recognize that the ritual of negotiation requires a very long-term mindset. And particularly in the age of social media, Instagram, Twitter, everything is now, 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 now. I think one of the most powerful things that you can offer to your customers is taking the time to have a much more long-term view. And there were moments when I felt that my client was going to snap, you know, emotionally, he would vent to me about how frustrated he was, but he recognized the long-term value and he was in it forever and not just for the immediacy. And the second thing is that to sustain relationships over the long-term, trust is something that is built up over time and is a question of consistency. And I think what I wanted to summarize at the end there, I think people often underestimate consistency in the most basic of elements of negotiation and being consistent with your mindset is something that takes time. And what this particular client got really, really good with was being consistent in his approach, in his communication with his customer. And that in itself was something that the customer valued hugely. 
I think with that being said, one of the things that I find people are very, very conscious of doing in this day and age is looking for shortcuts, is looking for the quick wins. And for me, the mindset of any customer is often one that is unsettled if we're too quick to chase that deal, to chase the signing of the contract. The deal that this gentleman put together was over the course of a year. And as a result of putting that deal together, internally within his organization, he is revered as the kind of go-to negotiation guru. And his reputation was enhanced to the point where he actually got a move to a different region and now heads up one of the countries and deals with a lot of their key accounts. So the consistency paid off. If everyone knew the shortcut, it would just be the way. Oh, that's brilliant. And I think especially speaking to consistency, it's so, I think, undervalued and it doesn't, I mean, consistency is boring. Let's just face it. It's, it's yeah, not totally. one of those cool, sexy things to talk about. It's not a hot topic, but it's one of the most powerful things you have at your disposal. It's just difficult to do. Thinking about it in terms of metaphors, they're everywhere. If you work out for a long period of time and then you have a week, two weeks, or three weeks of inactivity, those three weeks of inactivity can undo a lot of the work that you did. If you're fishing and you have the hook sitting there patiently and then the fish start to move towards it, if you pull on the hook really quickly, those fish scatter. And all of the work that you did, all of the patience that you utilized earlier, the consistency, it's all for naught if you make one simple mistake. So like you said, the consistency of the messaging allowed the other parties to build trust with this person. And that trust alone is persuasive. It gives your words more persuasive value at the critical times when you're trying to make a move because they trust you. They believe that you're going to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And that is persuasive in and of itself. And we can't undervalue the power of that persuasive mechanism. I would completely agree with that. I think, and in addition, the only thing I would add is a good friend of mine is a um, gymnast, and he said that so much of gymnastics was and is about visualizing the tumbles, visualizing the twists and turns, visualizing the landing. For me, it's crazy to not think about training your mind in the same way. And what my client was consistent in doing over the course of this year was training his mind to visualize the language he would use, to visualize how he would respond and react when... He had the opportunity to land a difficult message. For him, it became an opportunity because he's like, I'm ready for this. I've realized exactly what it is I'm going to say in response. And that gymnastic analogy for me was really powerful when I was trying to coach him. You've got to visualize it and train your mind to visualize how you're going to communicate, and how you're going to persuade and negotiate with the other party. I love it. And then one last message on the visualization before we wrap it up. When we visualize, we also need to visualize overcoming adversity because when it comes to building habits in our everyday life and in these difficult conversations, oftentimes we envision ourselves performing under perfect circumstances. And then when a predictable obstacle comes up, we don't know how to handle it. So the visualization needs to be in the best of circumstances, but we also need to take the time and think through what we're going to do when things get tough in these conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to proactively plan, anticipate, 
But above all else, I think, as you pointed out, recognize that often with negotiation, you agree it today, but it's actually executed in the future and no one can see into the future. You know, no one's got a stargate in their bedroom. So you've got a plan for that as well. Absolutely. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Before you go, please let the audience know how they can keep in touch with you and uh, reach out to you if they uh, want some of your help. My pleasure, Kwame. Thank, and I'll take the opportunity to say thank you so much, uh, mate. Really enjoyed it. I am on uh, LinkedIn. My URL is Negotiating Confidence. If you want to find me there, I'm also Instagram Mark Davis underscore UK. You can find me on Instagram. I'm always posting um, crazy things up on that. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. <laughs> Thanks again, man. We'll have you on again soon. Kwame, my pleasure. Take care. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you're liking what you're hearing, please leave a review and subscribe and tell your friends. Our goal is to help as many people as possible. And when you leave reviews, it makes it easier for people to find us in the searches. Thanks again for being a listener. I'll catch you in the next one.